NCFM Today, a podcast about family medicine in the Old North State. I'm your host, Greg Briggs. As we begin 2023, this episode of NCFM Today will feature the installation speech of our new president, Dr. Shauna Guthrie. Dr. Guthrie delivered this speech during our annual meeting and Winter Family Physicians Weekend in early December. Listen now as Dr. Guthrie provides her vision for the next year of the North Carolina Academy of Family Physicians. I'm so honored to be here and have the opportunity to represent family physicians across the state in the role of president of the NCAFP for the next year. I absolutely would not be here without my family, both born and chosen. Some traveled halfway across the country, and some traveled halfway across the state to share this moment with me. Your ongoing love, support of my cockamamie ideas, and ability to question me about my ideas in a way that only makes them better has only made me better. I also would not be here without my many mentors, some physician and some non. I don't want to name names because I don't want to leave anyone out. But if I, you ever received an email me in the middle of the night after reading something you wrote in an article, requested an emergency Zoom meeting to discuss my private practice, or really spent any other time with me on committees or hanging out at the spa, you have definitely had a role in getting me to this point. Giving this speech is one of the more intimidating things I've done in my life. Some of you sitting here remember some of the past talks of incoming presidents. I remember jumping to my feet, clapping in tears after hearing Rhett Barham or Tamika Howell speak. You can put away your Kleenex, because this will not be that kind of talk. (laughs) I am an introvert from the Midwest. Kansas, the state that is flatter than a pancake and looks like a candy bar with a bite out of the corner. We try not to stick out too much from those around us or stir up too much emotion in people. But I will share some stories, and hopefully through these, you'll get to know me a little bit better. Although we shared a love of medicine, I was not blessed with an amazing memory or the confidence to ski down double black diamonds with wild abandon like my grandfather. But I did inherit two things from him. First, his loud, boisterous, old man style, often painful sneezes. (laughs) Every single sneeze seems to become a spectacle, and there's little I can do about it. I have gotten a little better with COVID because nobody likes to sneeze in their own mask. Um, Maybe you don't put away those Kleenexes just in case. What I also inherited was his propensity to see the bright side of things and learn from our trials and tribulations while turning them into entertaining stories to share with others. You would think one of the best things to ever happen to him was getting stranded in the Antarctic on a cruise ship. Stories for days. (laughs) I grew up on a farm as a scrawny tomboy, and my absolute least favorite chore was hauling hay. I don't know if anyone else has carried those 50-pound prickly bales in 102-degree heat, Um, but I knew that growing up, that was not the life for me. Thanks to the help of others, resilience, persistence, and frankly, a significant amount of privilege, I live a very different life from that now. 
I did purposefully land in a rural area to best utilize my training and skills. But I can live on my own schedule, have my own dog, raise chickens in town. Uh, you can't completely take the country out of the girl. And students, this can be you someday. I can even buy brand name, brand name cheese. <laughs> Living in the country, it can be easy to be disconnected from politics, put my head down, and focus on caring for my patients. Whether we practice in a city or out in the sticks, a lack of advocacy for our patients and our profession can affect the lives of many. Food is health, housing is health, social support is health. Working with legislators is sometimes icky business, but it's necessary, and I'm proud that our elected officials know that when there's a question about how something affects the health of our communities, the NCAFP is one of the trusted groups they call for issues on gun safety, abortion bans, or scope of practice, they can come to us to provide an evidence-based, patient-centered perspective while representing all our members across the state. The NCAFP will continue to fight these fights on your behalf, sometimes publicly and sometimes more privately, whatever's gonna work better. They will always protect evidence-based medicine, informed patient autonomy, and the right of physicians to practice without fear of unnecessary legal ramifications. You can absolutely put your head down and see patients. There is nothing wrong with that. But if there are issues that are important to you, please get involved. It can be very refreshing to affect your community in a different way. Email Greg Griggs. <laughs> if you want to participate in a White Coat Wednesday, join a board or committee, or if you aren't sure how you can get involved, just tell him you'd like to know more. You could end up right here <laughs> before you know it. Talking to our legislators can be intimidating, but I was once told that the scary feeling you get when doing something new like getting involved with the NCAFP board within your first year of practice in a new state, is called growth. <laughs> a neighbor used to say, I learned something new, so it's already a good day. And now I also say this often. In the middle of 2020, I worked a weekend shift at our local hospital. Since I left private practice for public health, I did occasional hospital shifts to keep my skills up, but for some reason in 2020, nobody was taking vacations, so we didn't get much of an opportunity. I was already a little bit intimidated, having spent the majority of my time understanding outpatient management, contact tracing, the latest on masking, and constantly changing quarantine and isolation guidelines. I definitely felt like a resident again. <laughs> taking my plan to one of the other hospitalists to get confirmation I wasn't doing anything totally off-grid. I will always remember when I went to see my very first inpatient with COVID. I walked confidently into the negative pressure anteroom, saw the papper and associate equipment, and turned right back around. <laughs> I hadn't realized until that moment that I didn't really have a clue how to put that on. I put one on once in the very beginning of COVID, before it was even in the US, in the conference room with my fellow public health nurses. <laughs> I probably could have told someone how to do it, uh, and I maybe could have figured it out. Uh, but I also could have done it wrong, and at that point in the pandemic, the repercussions were especially scary for myself or anyone I came into close contact with. 
So instead of being a tough gal, I opted for vulnerability. I went over to the nursing area where, of course, a whole group of nurses was standing and asked them for help. Like any great nurse, my patient's nurse did not bat an eye or laugh. She helped me get suited up and sent me on my way with minimal excitement. It was very humbling. Some growth definitely happened that weekend, and it didn't hurt that the rest of the shift was not very memorable. As family physicians, we're lifelong learners, and we have certainly had our fair share of learning in the past few years. Trying to decipher guidance about and then actually obtain proper PPE, reading scientific articles to be sure the advice we're giving our patients about immunizations is correct, or just so we can argue with someone spreading misinformation online. As someone with no children of my own, I spent an inordinate amount of time attending school board meetings with my boss and always had to come prepared with data, the latest community and school-based guidance, and ready to answer any questions someone asked with a straight face because they saw a Facebook post that they deemed reputable. Uh, My favorite was someone asking me if we were poisoning our children with chemicals on the swabs that we test them with. don't like to be vulnerable or ask for help, but that's one thing that helps us learn. We're willing to watch five YouTubes to refresh how to do an elbow injection rather than ask a friend for a quick refresher. Before COVID stopped us in our tracks uh, for a sniffle, we'd work long shifts despite feeling like death because we didn't want to let our team down. As an only child and a strong independent woman, and especially as a physician, Asking for help personally and professionally can be hard, but it can also keep you safe and bring you closer to those around you and make the day a better one because you learned something. All of us share that trauma of the past few years, and I don't want to discount that. But something we also share and can be proud of is the incredible amount of learning we did during that time, especially in the beginning. Information was changing faster than we could take it in. But we did it, and the NCAFP really stepped up during that time to provide really frequent newsletter updates to keep us all on top of the changes. They knew that primary care medical homes and primary care physicians, especially family physicians, were the key to having meaningful discussions with patients about getting vaccinated because we are their trusted medical advisor. And the NCAFP staff pushed hard to remind state officials of the important role family physicians play in their patients' care and helped us get vaccines into our offices and into the arms of our patients. Before my training, I had no idea of the importance of family physicians in healthcare and in their local communities. Despite my initial intentions, I'm not only a family physician, but now have the honor of representing all of you. The only thing I thought I was sure of when I started medical school was that I did not want to be a family physician. (laughs) I had no great local role models in the small town, like many of you hear about. Honestly, I had very limited medical care at all. What I did have was a part-time job in undergrad as a medical assistant, swabbing throats and drawing blood. From that perspective, family medicine looked so boring. Luckily, I was obviously wrong. 
after undergrad at the University of Kansas, I went to Drexel University College of Medicine in Philadelphia and participated in a problem-based curriculum. Most of our learning was done in patient cases, and when we finished a case, my classmates would roll their eyes because we would give feedback to make the case better for the next group. And my feedback was usually something along the lines of, but what happened to their dog? Is their aunt okay? Did they get married? It became pretty obvious early on that I needed something with continuity. I really liked mental health, and I knew I liked working with people of all ages. My hands are not the steady hands of a surgeon. And my chlorhexidine allergy seemed like a sign that I was definitely not meant for a surgical field. (laughs) Meanwhile, I remember the moment that I found this program called the New Hampshire Dartmouth Leadership Preventive Medicine Residency. It was a complete mouthful, but a real light bulb went on for me. I was sitting in our small group computer room, and what drew my attention was not their unnecessarily long name, but their Master's in Public Health focused in quality improvement. Now keep in mind, this was 2005, when quality improvement wasn't a widely used term or a dirty word. I've always been someone who likes seeing problems, often that others didn't see or at least didn't want to deal with, and finding a solution. I've been told more than once that I don't always have to rock the boat. (laughs) To which I respond, if I don't, then nobody will. When I saw this program, I knew this was a way that I could rock the boat, but in the right way, a more effective way. And bonus, I got to use data and spreadsheets. (laughs) Those of you that know me here understand. I still wanted to be a real doctor, though, and they had this cool program, the Paul Ambrose Fellowship, where you could combine it with your um, medical school curriculum in your fourth year if you did family medicine. So I thought, why not? Fast forward a year, and I'm having a romantic Valentine's dinner in a snowstorm with my future program director and his wife. (laughs) Yeah. They wanted me to feel welcome the night before my interview. (laughs) It was very awkward. (laughs) Obviously, I've come a long way from mediocre acceptance to full-on passion for family medicine. When people ask what kind of doctor I am, I proudly tell them I'm a family physician. And when they say, is that like some kind of generalist? I tell them that we have specialized training. We take care of the whole person, the whole family, and the whole community. Cradle to grave. What they don't really stick around to hear about is the thing I love about family medicine is that our scope can change with the seasons of our lives. I started in private practice, working harder than I ever have, doing outpatient, inpatient, obstetrics at two different hospitals, and nursing home, with one day a week doing quality improvement before it was cool. When I got the opportunity to move to public health about 20 years sooner than I planned and start a new primary care practice there, I went with it because I was ready for a change and growing tired of the lack of continuity and fast pace in my current location. I wanted to spend time with patients. I wanted to have more meaningful interactions. I loved the opportunity to have a greater community focus. 
I still sprinkled in some side gigs with the hospital, hospice, and a local detention center because I love variety and wanted to keep up all my skills, except delivering babies. (laughs) I stopped in 2018 and don't have any interest in delivering any more babies, ever. So those of you that still do, thank you. Around the same time, I realized that to make any difference in our significant, um, any difference in our very significant local opioid epidemic, I needed to start providing treatment for people with opioid use disorder. With the support of my health department colleagues, we started the first office-based opioid treatment program in a health department in North Carolina, which I think we are all very proud of. This started a journey that I've told many changed the shape of my brain and stretched our public health harm reduction hearts a little bit further. And it's been immensely rewarding. I had no idea at the time that this would lead to a renewed passion in my professional and personal life. And now, with our primary care program at the health department reaching maturity, I'm not leaving, but I am stepping back, and I have opened Sunflower Direct Primary Care, a nod to my Kansas roots, where I can really practice the way I have always wanted to, while also serving as part-time CMO at our local hospital, because I just really love being a family physician, and there are so many roles we can play, scopes we can practice, places we can go, literally and figuratively. Family medicine is not at all what I envisioned it to be when I started, and yet I'm exactly where I'm supposed to be. If you aren't happy where you are, make a change. Ask Talia Aaron or Tom White or many others in this room who have drastically changed directions in their careers. Think big. Define your passion. You are infinitely employable and deserve to be happy. Your patients deserve a doctor who's happy. We are family physicians. We are smart enough to manage complicated patients, but can still explain concepts in a way that normal people can understand. We look at the whole picture, and we're nimble enough to change entire workflows when global pandemics happen so that we can still care for our patients. We are unique unicorns, except that we actually exist. (laughs) And we get to do the coolest stuff. And for the medical students here worried about paying off your loans, you will pay them off. You get paid well no matter what kind of physician you are. And if family medicine feels right for you, why not pay them off doing something you love? President of the NCAFP and with their support, I will do everything in my power to protect and support our ability to practice freely, up to our scope, with as few administrative burdens as possible, so we can do what we're good at, not just treating patients, but caring for them, generations of their families and our community. Because in the wise words of an ancient family physician, Dr. Maureen Murphy, Jayhawk. (laughs) 
We are family physicians because freaking awesome is not a job title. Thank you. January edition of NCFM Today. You've been listening to Dr. Shauna Guthrie's installation address at the NCFP's Winter Family Physicians Weekend. Be on the lookout for the next edition when we discuss the unique experiences of moms in medicine. You can find NCFM Today on the Apple or Google stores, on Spotify, or wherever you subscribe to podcasts. You can also find it on our website at www. .ncafp.com. We encourage you to rate, review, and subscribe to the podcast. Until next month, this is Greg Wolves.